this life we are living is very, very important. There is hope. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Radically Loved Radio. I am joined by two very special guests, and I so wish we were doing this in person. The two people I have on the podcast today are truly, truly, truly inspirational people. They've been inspirational in the world of yoga. Um, Both are very world-renowned. And I'm just so excited to have both Mary and Richard Freeman on the show. Mary Taylor, Richard Freeman, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm, I'm I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. How are you guys doing? Oh, considering everything, we're doing pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) But you got to really zoom back, you know? Yes. Well, it's so interesting now, this world of being online. I mean, a lot of, of what I believed prior to this pandemic and civil unrest, all the stuff that was going on, my whole intention was always to spend less time on a computer. Right. For now, so this is, many of us, that's exactly right. for us. Yeah, yeah, we think yeah. we could give it up completely and just go back to handwritten things. Is yeah. It okay? Oh. Oh, but alas, we have to go back and face our demons and <laughs> all of our shadows. <laughs> well, how has this been for you, for you both? You both travel so much all over the world, and this is part of what you guys do. Um, obviously, there's not m- much travel happening these days. So what what has this transition been like for you guys during this time, the last couple of months? Well, it's been, you know, really, in some ways, the beginning was very, very interesting. We were in Asia at the in December of 2019. And then, and then that's when we got to Asia and then taught in Taiwan in January. And that was right when the virus was starting and then came back to Thailand where we were, you know, staying. And so we've been sort of very, very aware of it since the very, very And we were stranded in Thailand until three and a half weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Because we were trying to coordinate this while you guys were in Thailand. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, you know, we've watched it, you know, from afar and then suddenly watching it infiltrate into Europe and then now mm-hmm. the United States and, you know, and then the Black Lives Matter movement that has come along and also some of the environmental issues that have been really brought to the forefront through this 
So for us in the beginning, we felt it was very much, and still do, that it's very much a time to, you know, have some introspection. But then also, how do we communicate? Because what will keep us all afloat and what will keep us sane and able to figure out what we need and should be doing is to communicate. Yeah, to talk to each other, literally, in this case. And we see the same problems in all the, every country, you know, they're on different historical problems that involve you know, colonialism or racism or, you know, castes or, and so it's all over. It's, um, and that was good for us to see, you know, it's, uh, and of course, here in the United States, we have our unique, special, <laughs> intense <laughs> version of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's been quite um, eye-opening. And mm-hmm. I think a big magnifying glass has been placed on it because everybody is home and everybody's logged in. There's eyes watching. We're not distracted by the mundane nature of busyness. So it, exactly. gives that, it gives that big, huge magnifying glass. And, and even if we are you know, managing to distract ourselves at home and keep busy, et cetera, there is this sort of rawness and a tenderness within each of us from you know, just this visceral feeling of connecting to others, even if it's only through our minds or through the, the media but also through the events. And so it's just, it's been this, you know, interesting and the word unprecedented keeps getting used and it is, and it's an unprecedented time where, you know, it, it is hitting chords within each of us that many of us never even knew existed. And, and so that can be scary and that can be anxiety producing, but also uh, if we are able to pause at any juncture along the path of experiencing those things, there's tremendous opportunity to, um, you know, to, to have some insights and to then start looking at, well, what, what really matters to Mm -hmm. this life and to me and what can I do and in service of other people? Yeah. What's important. That's important. And, uh, and I think uh, the advantage of, you know, Today is that we have communication all around the world, and you can, you know, we we talk to people all over the place, you know, every other day, and uh, and then we have access to so much information, and so does everybody else, and uh, that I think is exciting because yeah. we've had crises before, you know, historically, you know, wars and epidemics, and but people have never been able to actually learn about it <laughs> to talk yeah to it. you know they just like oh we those people over there are just bad and they never talk to those people over there to find out yeah That's i think important. it's i think it's fascinating that we in the u.s are the ones that now can't travel anywhere yeah. else <laughs> i mean it's it's been such an eye-opening realization of wow this is what some countries are like. I mean, other yeah. countries are restricted to travel to places. And now we are, I think, one of the last countries or that can't can't go into other places. You I know. know. It's like it's much easier on some levels to sort of say, oh, 
that's so horrible. Let me do some meta for these poor people. But then it happens to you. And you're, right. Wait a <laughs> I'm like, somebody, can somebody do some meta for me, please? <laughs> um, so I, you, both of you just wrote this incredibly beautiful book on the Bhagavad Gita. It, it's called When Love Comes to Light and it's bringing wisdom from the Bhagavad Gita into modern day life which the Bhagavad Gita is one of my favorite yogic texts. So when I, I saw wow. that you had both, you had written this, I was so excited to get my little pause on it. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you both to write this book? What inspired Well, I, you know, I think that, you know, we love working on written projects together, number one. And number two, this is a book that, you know, so many of us who've studied yoga have really seen as a core text. And it's also one that is difficult to read sometimes and, and gives this, can create a feeling of like confusion even through reading it. Like why is, why is war being promoted? Or is it being promoted? Or is it being promoted? Mm-hmm. And, and both of us had, had looked deeply at it. Richard had studied it for many more years than me, and I've studied it for a number of years as well. And as you look and look and look again at it, you start realizing that it is this uh, text, which actually so many of the texts from this tradition and many, many other traditions are like this, but it's a text with such complex layering of uh, ideas and presentation that really, truly what's hitting you right at first is not necessarily what what's, it's about. It's something like a hook to get you in, mm-hmm. to have some teaching to wake you up, to wake you up to what is actually going on right here, right now. And how do you do that? And, and so in some ways, we started looking at it as a manual, you know, and the joke was people are always saying, oh, I wish there were a you know, guidebook for life or <laughs> user's manual. And, and in <laughs> fact, all of these texts are. It's but how do you read them that way? Yeah. And, and so, you know, it takes place with this huge war about to start between, you know, all of these very often... <laughs> It's a very complex war. It has huge <laughs> and but at the very beginning of it, Arjuna, the he, you know, the hero, who's a, a prince and also a warrior and also a diplomat, which makes it confusing. He asks his charioteer Krishna, who's his inner intelligence and his beloved, and turns out everyone's who's in the heart of every being, to pull the chariot up in between in the middle path between the two armies. And so Krishna does that. Well, this and and then and Krishna says, "Behold, the this one family." He says, "So both sides of this huge two armies." And Krishna says, "Look at it's one family." And then Arjuna could, proceeds to freak out because he sees the mess. And if he, and if he if they fight, it's going to be a total disaster. If they don't fight. It'll be a total disaster. And and so it's a family, not only of friends and relatives and teachers and loved ones. It's a, you know, it, the, the idea is that the world 
is one organism. It's yeah. one family and it's all interconnected. And there's mm-hmm. That's this very first lesson in the book. And on one side is a uh, psychopath who's actually a bad guy, Duryodhana. Dung. <laughs> and not that, you know, and so we have to also deal with him, you know, how to, you know, we just don't want him to have free reign while we go off and do yoga. But uh, what does he represent? And so it's very complex. And uh, Arjuna is very compassionate and intelligent. And he doesn't accept, and, and Krishna leads him on this path where he doesn't really answer his question as to what should I do? And so Arjuna never accepts, you know, the trick answers that so Krishna just presents all these different religious views, many, many, and presents them well. But Arjuna said, you still didn't answer my question. <laughs> and uh, he's being intelligent. And, and, you know, representing the fact that there is never one answer. There's never one formula or one uh, method to do anything. And when you look at anything you do even just you know picking up a cup of tea and having it it's not just you know that simple you can go more deeply beneath anything and realize how many of these sort of underlying tenets like uh, interconnectedness and truth and beauty are you know weaving their way together to present something that your storyline intersects with and your uh, comprehension of philosophy and theory intersects with, and then you have to, you know, take whatever part of any one of those three aspects of anything that you're presented with and carefully work with it in conjunction with the other aspects. So this is, this is how we approach the teachings, that it's, it's a way of learning to look at context Look at context. So you see things and to look at all the different religious manifestations and to see basically through them to what they're actually trying to accomplish rather than to let your ego, you know, buy into some formula Mm -hmm. that makes you superior to others. Yeah. Why is it that our mind always wants to do that? It always wants to know what the fix is. Like, what? just tell me what to do so I can do it, right? Yeah. Just like, why? Job. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, it's the nature of mind. And if, if you didn't have that aspect of mind, then there, the mind would not be able to be decisive and make decisions and, and guide you in taking actions. But then what happens is the mind and the ego, which is the identification with self as separate, those two things have a, a unique and special relationship. And as soon as they really start working together, then that's when the problems arise because the ego wants to be the hero driving in and solving problems. And it knows that the mind wants that too and knows how to do that. And then, you know, then everything else gets kind of trampled in the, in the path of trying to find your way there. So it's, you know, that it's a good thing that the mind wants that. And then for instance, in the current situation, you know, if we were all just to sit back and say, well, this will just pass and I'll just rock on my front porch on my swing until it's gone, which for some people might be truly the the best thing you should do. But for others of us, that's not the best thing. 
And so to really look at what are your motivations in, in wanting to know, in deciding what actions are appropriate, and are you looking at the full picture or are you being, you know, kind of led astray by illusion which we all are from time mm-hmm. to time. Mm-hmm. Yes. So even if you found a good yoga school, good lineage, good religion, good, you know, holy book or something, that's just the, you know, the ego can jump on that and say, yes, I found it. And so the whole last part of the Gita, which a lot of people don't bother with because it seems so redundant. <laughs> it's my favorite part. <laughs> you know, it's talking about how yoga can go bad. You know, and even, you know, if if we all of a sudden, you know, even if it's a great thing, the mind clings onto it as if that were the point of it. And then so the ego gets all puffed. And so the whole book, you know, Krishna himself is always coming down off of the pedestals that Arjuna puts him on just so he, they can be pals in a sense. You know, and just the fact that the mind makes pedestals. Mm. Uh, it can't help doing it it's the creative power it's just you can't you just got to watch it and know that it's you know a divine energy rather than a demonic energy Mm -hmm. and so you know at the very end Krishna advises Arjuna to you know after he teaches them all about bhakti and you know at that time you think yeah that's for me I'll become a a bhakta then he says just just let go of all dharmas uh, which is a very Buddhist teaching, you know, all formulations and all religions and mental, you know, big and little mental uh, understandings. Uh, not that they're bad and not that they're good, just you release them and just come to me, meaning, and by that time, me and doesn't mean, you know, a big deity. It means like, you know, the beloved in the heart. Yeah, it means really drop into the visceral experience that we all have of. Uh, interconnectedness and infinity through that and then from there we can find our way and so you have to have the dharmas you have to have the theories but then you have to set them down but you don't just toss them away so it's it's a beautiful you know and and it is confusing as to well how but still we turn return to the question in a time like these. Right. Okay, great, great. I hear all that theory. What do I do now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I I always get people asking, yeah, I understand, but what are some five tips that I can do right now? Or what are three things that I can and and it's so interesting, you know, for me with the lineage that I study, which is very similar. And I, I know that you guys are familiar with my teacher, Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker. And so he, part of what, what we learn, you know, we, we practice yoga to cultivate more discernment, to know cool. what to do when we're not practicing yoga, right? So yeah. that there's this, this whole idea of understanding all of these uh, methods and yeah, not making them God but instead utilizing the knowledge to, to live in, in this moment, to live in this world. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and I love that because it's, it's the same. You speak to the same thing in, in the book. I really love how you, you talk about waking up to our intelligence. Like that really spoke to me because it felt very accessible 
Uh, and it felt something doable. It didn't feel like it was some... I always think, well, if I, if I didn't maybe have a strong connection to the divine, how could I connect to that interconnectedness? And there's this whole idea of uh, waking up to that intelligence that lives within us to be able to live that balanced life. So I'm, I'm just curious if, if you, could, you could both answer the question, what, what does that waking up to intelligence feel like or look like? You know, I, for me, um, and who knows how often I'm actually having moments of intelligence, but I think we all have these moments actually all day long and throughout our lives, but it's where we feel really what, you know, T.S. Eliot would describe as, as coming home, where we are dropped into a, an unspeakable, visceral, you know, it's kind of a, a combination of visceral, emotional, mental space within the core of the embodied experience that mm. feels true. So it's like uh, akin to the gut feeling or the feeling of when you tell the truth. And even in situations where it's difficult to say, you know, I've made a, mis- a big mistake and here's, here's the truth and, and be vulnerable. So it's a feeling of vulnerability rooted in strength and rooted in the knowledge that you are connected to others because in an embodied way, you're connected to earth. So for me, that's what it feels like. And that when you start looking closely underneath the surface of the chaos of daily life and your own actions and thoughts, et cetera, you notice these cycles throughout every day where oh, there's a moment of it. And then you are either not aware of it or you lose it. And then it comes again. And again, you're aware or not. And and the practices themselves that we we work with uh, are practices that wake up the body so that we start to be more attentive and so that that our, our resilience and our ability to notice these moments comes more quickly. So to me, that's what it is a feeling of. It's, it's something you can hardly even put into words. You put it in words, but then you got to be gotta, intelligent. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, that's see, those are part. just words. You know. <laughs> <That's the hard laughs> yeah, yeah the, the word bud, to wake up. You know, it's the root of the word Buddha, the awakened one, the word booty or intelligence. Yeah, it's this one is it lets you see context when you see something. Rather than just like, that's it, you start to see it more deeply, that it's actually a composite of its background. And then if your intelligence is waking up, you start to even see that also. And so it's, and they say that buddhi yoga is a gift. So Krishna says, I give, dadami buddhi yogam tam, I give buddhi yoga to those who are filled with a sense of devotion to other beings. Uh, as a gift, because your ego can't create that. And so you're starting, it lets you just look at the phenomenon of your mind and the phenomenon of the body and sensations and with this sense that leaves you awestruck where you're just going, ah, wow. And that feeling, it's like, with that feeling, you don't care whether you're any more enlightened or not, right. because you, you got you, 
we like to say, well, you, you got the cheese, you know. <laughs> when, when we're teaching rats, we, <laughs> we, you know, when you got the cheese, you don't care if you're not, you know, being approved of or everybody's right. laughing at you. And so it's almost like, and that's that experience that Mary's talking about. It's like your whole body is like, this is, you can't say what it is, but you're having this direct experience of it as this. And, and brilliant. You know, we've talked about the the mind sort of co-opting the, the the intelligence or these processes, or or the ego co-opting it through the, the mind. And and so, if you think of like, well, what what are like three things that or five things that I could do? One is you know that we to really realize that in whatever situation, whether it's a good or a joyful situation or an incredibly difficult situation, we have the necessity to act. And sometimes the action is that we don't act. But if we bring consciousness to that, that is uh, a, a realization that we have to have. And then we look at our actions and think, well, what is it that is going to inform me? The discernment that you're talking about. How am I going to discern what is the best action action to take? Or inaction. Or inaction. Um, And if you have no attachment, ego attachment to like making, it's going to make me famous. It's going to make me. Or it's going to make someone else feel bad, better. Or it's going to, you know, whatever. If you don't have a plan in mind, but you have to have a plan in mind, but you don't have a solid set plan. Yeah, the plan is like a, it's you want to help others, but you're not you're a little humility, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when you make that action or inaction, you know, it could be like really a, a stupid thing that you do. You get feedback <laughs> from others. They say, oh, by the way, excuse me. And uh, <laughs> then you get information and then you adjust you're able to adjust your aim you know if you're shooting a bow and arrow without any uh so there's not eager and so you get skillful action by not being uh by using the ego but not identifying with it as you know, it's a divine function but it's not you so you know, when I said, you know, even if it's, you know, something that a good intention, like to make others, to help relieve the suffering of others, where that goes awry, if that's sort of a general idea that is your motivation, that's fine, because then you can keep checking back into that. Mm-hmm. But if it is something I'm going to relieve their suffering by providing this, and then they will be able to do that, and then, I, you know, this will happen, and then that will happen which could be a beautiful picture, that's where, you know, a good action, you know, an action that might be very beneficial to someone can go awry because you've made it into something that is uh, a picture and an illusion rather than seeing, well, let me take this one step in that direction and then I pause and that's the thing of setting it down. And then reassess and then pick it back up and take another step and pause. So it's this ongoing process, which is how life itself works with the unfolding of, you know, the gunas acting on the gunas is one of the big themes in the Gita. And it's a way of really experiencing that where 
life is a wave pattern. And if you can sort of ride those waves with the ability at any instant to engage, that would be amazing. And, and then the teacher would say, actually, nobody's engaging. Yeah, exactly. And Krishna loves to play mind games. You know, he'll, if Arjuna says, and he'll flip it over. And uh, it's a very playful book. And it's supposed to be difficult. You know, you're, it's supposed to make you look again and then again, which is the, the teaching of mindfulness. It's a mindfulness practice. Um, yeah, and another another thing we can all do is to exactly that, to keep a sense of humor if we can, <laughs> you know, to be able to laugh at ourselves, at our own mistakes, and to be able to support you know, others through the releasing of our, you know, the human nature tendency to just hang on, you know, until and until the boat has been thrown so off kilter that <laughs> yeah, things are a mess. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people like us. We get to explore new skills, deepen our existing passions, and get lost in the world of creativity. And I can't think of a better time than now to be able to do that. Now, I'm not saying we have to leave this quarantine having learned a new language or a new skill. What I'm saying is that now more than ever is an important time to connect with our creative community. Skillshare offers creative classes designed for real life and all the circumstances that come with it. It's always going to be the right time to stay inspired. It's always going to be the right time to be able to express yourself. And it's always going to be the right time to connect with a community of millions of like-minded people. Currently, I'm taking the Everyday Minimalism, Find Calm and Creativity in Living Simply, taught by Aaron Boyle. I've learned so much about creating a calm space. Now, for me, it's essential to create that space because I want my creativity to continue to flow easily and freely. And I love this about Skillshare. This is a membership with meaning. Skillshare believes in cultivating a strong community because they believe it's essential in times of hardship. So you're able to tap into the support of fellow creatives who are going to help provide encouragement, who are going to communicate with you and are going to help continue to support your own inspiration and your own desires in creating something new. I think utilizing Skillshare as a way to practice mindfulness has been such a huge key for me and my own mental state, my own mental wellness. And I really hope that you find the same value in your own experience. So to continue to explore your creativity and get two months of premium membership at Skillshare, go to Skillshare.com forward slash loved, that's L-O-V-E-D, and you get two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. So get started by joining today. Head over to Skillshare.com forward slash loved. And now back to our show. Yeah, I mean, you you were talking about riding those waves and I'm like, we are riding on a tsunami right now, all of us. So this is <laughs> this has been one of those things that it's been so interesting. I try to not assign good or bad. I just, I try to just use 
very interesting. Like this is um, this is a very interesting feeling that I'm feeling, or oh, it's a very interesting time because I I also don't want to engage. It's so easy right now, just with news cycles and all the stuff that's going on right now. Click baiting. I, I was funny when you were talking about the beginning of the book and how it is designed to hook you in right at the beginning, and it does. And I was like, oh, this was like the ancient clickbait. This is, <laughs> this is what this is what they did to got, to get you to continue to read. But yeah, there's this there's a sense of I think de- exhaustion and depletion of energy because of everything that everybody's dealing with right now at a, at a global scale. And to me, it's the most important time to practice uh, to you know do uh, uh, any whatever your practice looks like for you. For me, it's yoga and meditation. But it's been so fucking hard (laughs) to sit and do a practice and and really tune in to that sanctuary, that inner sanctuary that where, for example, for me, where I can really connect to that just because there's been this depletion at a at a global scale. So and and I know that I'm definitely not the only one that's feeling like that. I know that a lot of people I know um Students of mine are sort of grappling with the same that same feeling. However, I still will show up. I will yes. still show up, even if it's my hour long meditation practice is now fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, I'm just going to continue to show up and just sit there and just do it. Um, and that's fantastic because yeah. that the, what what happens is in the easier times or the less turbulent times, we learn these practices as practices and they prepare us for the difficulties in life. And sometimes it is actually inappropriate to do our standard practice because of circumstances around us. And because some of us have been lucky to be practicing for many, many years, kind of not maybe not even knowing why we're doing the practices during these times, we have good roots. But for newer people who haven't had practices the, or who may just be beginning to taste them, any amount, touching in any amount without being, because there is that element of exhaustion and fatigue and fear and, and disconnect, it's an important time to be kind to yourself and to be really careful and not so dogmatic that mm-hmm. you know you become more tight or more uh, tuned out from the other. But during this time, I think one of our beliefs really is that that connection to other. I mean, that's what is in the Gita when he says, "Put down all dharmas and come to me." meaning come into this shared space, however it appears. And it may not be through a yoga practice, as you said earlier. And this is a time when we support one another and coincidentally, that supports us. If we think I'm going in to support myself and so I'll take care of other people, then that doesn't work. It's that when there's this genuine sense of connectedness and a genuine concern 
for the world, the environment, uh, etc., then that's mm-hmm. when it starts to at least stabilize enough that mm-hmm. we take the, the, the context of what's going on and we help each other see what we can do. Um, so it's such a vital time to, to be careful and to stay in touch as we can with that, that internal you know, feeling of tenderness and mm-hmm. the feeling of what it really feels like to be in love. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes, like, if you sit down to practice, and your, your inner anger arises occasionally. And then how to practice with that without becoming angry at your anger. Or if you see yourself doing that, because then it just cascades. And, um, and that's why it's good to share with other people who are, they say, oh, that's exactly what I do too. And, and just that sense of, you know, just even over the internet, you know, <laughs> that connection, you go, ah, and you just get that little feeling briefly. It's, it's good. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know if good is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. That's what I've yeah, been using. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah, we've been using the word vital. It's yeah. vital. Oh, vital. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's an opportunity. It's a time to really, yeah. you know, it's an opportunity to put down our preconceptions. And, and, you know, they're good. Preconceptions are good. But to set them down for a moment and uh, just show up, like you said. And yeah. for one of the, another really important thing is, you know, another step. And there, there is to, when you are taking actions, to really be honest and, and truthful with yourself about what your motivations are. Mm. Um, and this is a teaching very often given in Buddhist teachings, you know, to really check your motivation. Um, if you've been, feel like you've been injured by someone else or by a situation and you respond, that's good. And take the moment, and it's just a flash, to really see if your motivation for your action is in line with bigger intentions in life, say, the intention to relieve suffering. Are your motivations self-serving more than they are uh, truly in line with your intention then and and to be really honest and it's okay if they're not but to know that and and try to sort of merge them together so that the good of the whole really is what is important because that's when everybody you know when you're happy and you make and other people find you in that state then they're happy and then you're happier because they're happy and then it's this this wonderful unfolding but if you're faking it and pretending to be happy for them and then doing something even if it's just survival for yourself and you think that's what it is then step back a bit and see how you can line those up a bit better mm-hmm. yeah and so the Gita is also the idea of the bodhisattva or someone who decides to keep, you know, they won't take their final, their own final liberation or Buddhahood or, but they find greater pleasure and uh, keep, they keep coming back because they love to help. They love to hold up and serve others. And uh, this is what Krishna says in the Gita. That's what I do. 
you know, he says, I keep coming back, you know, and, uh, and then he says, and, and someone who does that, you know, I, I'm completely, uh, they're the best. And so it's, 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 it's a good book. Um, it's a good book. It is. It is a beautiful story. I mean, I, I've always loved the Gita and, and seen it as just a, an incredible, I know it's so weird because it is a kind of a war story, but I see it as a really beautiful love story because ultimately it is, right? It's this, this it's beautiful, just love story of, of how we connect to that divinity within ourselves, how we can move through all of those obstacles of the ego and get to a place where we can finally be, yeah, resting in, in the wisdom of the heart, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and in a way, you know, when it is often thought of as a book about war, because in the very first chapter, he's just said, you know, Krishna says, stand up and fight. And there they are on a battlefield. So what one thinks is stand up and fight this battle in the, on the battlefield. But really, what he's meaning yeah. is... And two or three chapters later, he's saying, oh, and stand up and fight, you know, these three, lust, anger, and greed. Yeah. You know, do the yoga. Stand up and do the yoga. <laughs> Don't be a chicken. Yeah. Do the yoga. And uh, he so, becomes clear what the enemy yeah, is. So it's not necessarily, even as a warrior, your job... And, and the fighting would take the form of actual fighting. But fighting. it might. But it might. They're... But even bef- in the bigger context of the story, Krishna himself, of the Mahabharata, Krishna had taken the oath not to engage in the battle. You know, so um, as had some of the other, you know, major players. And he actually broke that oath. Yeah. Uh, everyone in the whole story had to break the oaths and vows that they were famous right. for. So they had, because they were put in these difficult situations, and that was a, a very clever thing in the Mahabharata. So, oh, it's so good. It really is to me, just the metaphorical nature of the whole story. There's so many layers. There's so many beautiful lessons in, in each chapter. And to me, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny how you go, Krishna in one chapter is saying, Oh, do this, fight, don't fight. Oh, right. but if you fight, oh, but then don't fight. But then if you fight, and it's just like this whole, you know, back and forth. And it's just, it's so, um, yeah, it's, it's the nature of, of the mind and, and our, our internal battle, our constant internal battle. So I want to be respectful of your time. And I, I can't even believe that our time is already... I feel like I didn't even get to ask you the questions that I, I wanted to. Um, so that just means... I always kind of do that just to hook my guests in so that you have to come back. Um, so you're committed to come back again. Um, That's a good technique. Yeah, It is. Thank you. You can, you can listen back to all the podcasts. I always do that. I'm like, mm, I didn't finish my question. So you have to come back. So I, I'm so, so grateful, number one, again, for having you both be on this show. I mean, you are both such celebrated and revered teachers. And, and I really, I love your teachings. Like I said, we have, uh, I have some mutual friends. Michelle Lowe is, is one of your guys' students who I've known Michelle for a long time. And I just really 
I'm so grateful that you guys decided to um, to be on the show. Uh, I'm 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 excited to be able to share this book with everybody that's listening. So the people that are listening, it's an incredible book. If you go to the info button on the this particular podcast, I will put a link there so you can order the book for yourself. And um, is there before I ask you the final question? Is there anything that you guys want to share to just share with the audience? Anything that you want to leave with them? Any probing question? Anything at all? Well, I think, you know, I would say, let's find a way to trust each other. And if you're having difficulty with that, it's okay. But to do what you can in little steps. Uh, to find a sense of trust in the process with other people and with your own authenticity coming to the surface and then we'll help each other. So to me, that's, that, that is, as I've you know, been thinking about all of this over the last eight months or so, it's so important to hone that skill of tapping into trust and part of is part of that is to get to encourage ourselves and then others to actually engage in talking to each other or communicating with each other, uh, like negotiate. Sometimes you know it's negotiating <laughs> because they're not gonna they're not gonna be happy until they actually sit down and communicate and actually communicate is. You know, and that could be politically or yeah, interpersonally. Interpersonally. And that's yeah. an important part of the Gita. Is and, and to, one, I just, for, to take a teeny bit more time, one quick thing that we love was we spent the last eight months in Thailand kind of stranded there happily. But yeah. so all air traffic and everything was cut off from our island uh, for this period of time. And it was just this remarkable time of being in the jungle and watching the culture suffer, but also support each, you know, members of the culture support one another and members Mm -hmm. of our smaller community support one another. And on the beach near our house, for the first time in 20 years, sea turtles came and laid eggs. And then after about 90 days, uh, we have a film clip of the sea turtles at night and it was done with uh, infrared cameras, infrared cameras so, so they weren't disturbed. But there's this beautiful image of suddenly there's the earth and these little turtles popping up out of the ground and scampering off to the ocean. Off to the ocean. And, and it's that kind of thing that is beneath all of this chaos that we're in, that are, those things are reminders that, you know, that this life we are living is very, very important. And that there is hope and that if there is this care and concern for others, the people in the village and the police and everybody took care of these turtles day and night for 90 days. And if we do that, there is this chance for this time to be one that's Mm. of great transformation. And so really, truly look for those little, you know, things and they may not be beautiful little stories like that, but they may be just tiny little bits and pieces that you see. And I remember in the beginning with the shutdown in the U.S., we were getting stories from people like, oh, the 
sounds in New York City are just remarkable because no one's outdoors. And to remember <laughs> yeah, the birds are happy. that's still there. Wow. All of those things are still there. And so let's let's not forget them in the mad rush to get back to where we where we were and should be. Right. Air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Well, yes, thank you for that. That's very um very beautiful. So I'm going to, I always ask my guests this final question and I'd like you both to answer it. So whoever wants to go first, we'll go first, but I'd really love to hear both of your answers. And so um, the question is pertaining to the podcast and why I started the podcast. And I, I thought that it would be a incredible way to just cultivate a community and to sort of subscribe to this idea that we are all radically loved, we're radically connected, that the universe works for us and not against us, and that we are radically loved. And so the question to you both is, how do you feel radically loved? (laughs) They both just looked at each other, just so you guys know. (laughs) So cute. Uh, Well... Again, back to uh, when we were stranded in on this island in Thailand, nature was celebrating <laughs> the situation. And uh, you just feel it in the, the sounds of all of the different wild birds, jungle sounds, all different times, you know, all, you know, it, it's just stunningly gorgeous if you could just sit down and open your ears to mm-hmm. hear or just to feel your breath. And so really it's, uh, you know, the whole Gita is teaching love for all beings, not just human beings, because there are lots of different species around the universe, you know, millions and billions, and uh, it's all us. Yeah, and, and for me, I think, you know, that feeling of radically being loved is something that is a spontaneous, I'm sure, you know, event that happens in this, in my system. And, and there's a way almost that you can facilitate it or cultivate it or summon it by remembering the experience of looking deeply into the eyes of another. Really, when you have that experience of, and we've all had it, of this nonverbal exchange of wonder in a sense and we, we sometimes talk about it as when you look into the eyes of a of a baby and they're just so filled with life and they have no words to describe things and you and you just see this excitement for life mm-hmm. and you feel it and you feel it or you can experience that through looking at a kitten or a puppy too or and then something happens when cynicism and life kind of breaks us apart but that seed is always there and so for me I feel I lose it often but then if I'm smart enough and and kind enough to myself in certain days I can say oh wait a minute and let me summon a memory of someone that really truly that happened with and as Richard said often like as you were talking, Richard, it was just often I can hear the sounds of the jungle and it's just, it doesn't have to be actually the visual field. It's any sort of sensual field of connection. And then 
Even smell. Even smell. Taste. (laughs) So thank you. Oh, thank you. I just, I'm trying to smell that Thailand beach (laughs) air and I just, oh, I love it so much. Um, Were you guys at Samahita? We were. Oh, (laughs) I love it. We have a house there. Oh, you do? Yeah. Fun. I'm coming next time. As soon as we're... Um, I'm inviting myself. Do you, yeah, do you like how I did it. that? We love, we love it there. It's, it's such a beautiful little island. Yeah, I love I love it. I love Koh Samui so much. Yeah. And, and Thailand and the people are just so beautiful. Oh, um, so I want to just take a moment again to just acknowledge you both and thank you for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom and just for doing the work that you've done throughout the years. I mean, now more than ever, I think is is the reason why we practice what we do, you know, to yeah. really show up in the world and, and put that practice into action, like you were yeah. saying. So yeah. I I appreciate you both so much. Thank you so much. Please come back and see us again. Um, For those of you that are listening to the podcast, and again, um, I will place the link to the book uh, as well as all the links to um, both Mary and Richard on there. So if you want to check out their website and see what kind of offerings they have, I will put that in the show notes of this particular episode. So thank you guys so much again. And I look forward to interviewing you guys again in the future and coming to Thailand soon. (laughs) Good, thanks. Thank Thank you so much. Be, Be safe and be careful. You too. We'll see you soon. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.